This is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 15th episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice, or a suggestion for a guest, or you just want to chat about yoga or whatever, please email me at rebecca at homebodiesyoga.com. You can also find me at Home Bodies Yoga Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I would love a review if you wanted and a rating because it helps people find the show. And then if you subscribe, it also helps people find the show. So do me a solid if you would. It was just my birthday. I don't know if you knew that. Write me a little review or give me a little rating. Why not? Maybe a good one just to be so bold. Um... Well, back to my practice. So, uh, haven't been doing much yoga. It's been kind of a roller coaster over here. Um, let's see. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I was doing yoga until like the fifteenth, my birthday, because um, I got this like insane, weird thing with my ear. So, my birthday was the fifteenth. The middle of the night on the fourteenth, I woke up and my ear was just like. <laughs> triple its size like it was really swollen and tender but it didn't like it wasn't like pain it just like was I felt really swollen so I went back to sleep and then I woke up on the 15th of my birthday and it was like big um and like probably triple its size like it was like I was a woman in a parable <laughs> like just my ear was really swollen and like red and I don't know I was just like getting really worried uh so the doc so I called the doctor and they won't do telehealth they're like you need to come in there's like a foot of snow on the ground. So we have to like get our, so I didn't, I was like afraid to drive. So, um, my husband drove me, we like bundle Hudson up. We all get in the car. My husband drove me to the doctor and there wouldn't have been parking anyway. Anyway. So I go to the doctor and he's like, okay, that looks bad. Here's some antibiotics. If these don't work, you're going to have to go to the hospital. And I was like, oh, but antibiotics always work. End up having a really good birthday. Like had such, um, like a sweet time with my little quarantine crew. Like my good friend Joanne made me feel very, very special. It was very nice. My husband too, but you know, sometimes women are better about stuff like that. Or anyway, sometimes Joanne's better about stuff like that. Anyway, so then I um, wake up on, so my birthday's fine. My ear's not getting better or worse. And I was like, well, I'll go to sleep and wake up. I'm sure it'll be better. Go to sleep, wake up. It's not better. It's like swollen and my face around it is sort of starting to swell call my doctor and he's like, yeah, you got to go to ER. By now it snowed like another foot and it's like kind of like a historic <laughs> snowstorm. Like no one is going anywhere. So I end up, um, like couldn't really call a car, couldn't get our car out, couldn't have driven myself uh, because of the snow. Like we were trapped. Um, and like, I'm not going to call an ambulance cause it's expensive. And also I don't even think an ambulance could have gotten down the street, honestly. So I walk in the snow, which was actually really beautiful. The sky was really blue and I felt, it was like the best part of my day. I felt really good other than the ear. I get to the hospital. No one's there because of the snow, which was nice. Um, they check me in and they're like, yeah, this is bad. It's weird. It's not responding to antibiotics. Like do a CAT scan. Can't really figure out what it is. And they're like, yeah, you know, you're going to have to stay. Like you're staying overnight. And I had, I was not expecting that. And I was like, what? 
they like give me so I stay like a little more than 24 hours they give me like a couple IV infusions and it's just not getting better but it's not getting worse and they were like okay you're stable so like go home whatever uh and you know go see a specialist tomorrow like I like got myself an appointment with the one they recommended I was like okay so I like go home (laughs) you know this is obviously more dramatic but it's just a long story and then my ear just randomly starts getting better which was amazing um and I'm, I'm on antibiotics, but, like, I don't know. Maybe they took a while to work. Who knows? Go see the specialist. He's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, he said, like, maybe it was an infection of the cartilage. Like, doesn't seem to really know what it is either. Add some other drugs to what I'm taking. And, like, at this point, my ear, you'll be happy to know, is, like, almost back to normal. It's, like, almost a normal person ear. It's almost like that. My left ear is like my bad ear. It's almost back to the size of my right ear, the good ear. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it was just this whole, like, big dramatic thing, huge snowstorm, emergency, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, so that's why the podcast is a little late this week. (laughs) Oh, also, um, Evan's parents' furnace broke, so, like, Hudson couldn't go there today. So, childcare has been a struggle. Evan was, like, behind in his work because I was at the hospital and he was watching Hudson, obviously. So yeah, so things have been a little bit wild around here. Um, and I was thinking about it and I was like, gosh, you know, I wish I had like, like it's, there's something in me. I don't know if it's like some like latent Christianity or some kind of like weird guilt, but like, I like want to be able to give you like a lesson I've learned from this or something. Like I was at the specialist, for example, and he, you know, he's just like, yeah, I'm not, yep, glad it's getting better. You're over the hump. Like it should be better. And I was asking him all these questions like, you know, I wear these headphones to like podcasts and I do this and I was in the cold and like, do you think it's a spider bite and all this stuff? Like, you know, like, what did I do wrong, basically? And he just looked at me and he was like, this just happens. Like, you didn't do anything wrong. And it was so nice to hear that from a stranger, even if it was about, you know, like, obviously I've done wrong things in my life. But what a nice thing to hear. Like, you didn't do anything wrong just made me think like what a kook I am that I'm always like looking to blame myself even for something so random it just made me think too a lot about what I was writing about my newsletter that like suffering is just something that happens that like I it's easy to like attach blame or shame to suffering like I was so embarrassed of my ear like what a it just feels like it just felt so embarrassing and I had so much shame that, that like maybe I did something wrong um and it's kind of such a relief from the yoga sutras that just like yeah like sh- like suffering is everywhere like it's always going to happen even the wise suffer everyone suffers and you don't have to find a lesson to learn like some things you just have to like survive <laughs> you know and i'm so lucky that like one i had insurance and two that i had a doctor and that i'm you know that it went away that my body was strong and like got got rid of it or the antibiotics from the word or whatever um but you know sometimes like something shitty just happens and you didn't do anything wrong and that's just how it is <laughs> like my ear just blew up and it doesn't mean I'm a bad listener like despite every childhood fairy tale I mean I could still be a good listener <laughs> yeah so that's been my week I got I randomly did like a little bit of movement in the hospital I was doing like half surreas when I woke up in the morning uh like the night after I was there because I just felt I just realized that movement is so healing for me like if I can move obviously like not most people in the hospital can't move uh, for various reasons, but like 
I could. And I was just like, you know, I did like a couple little standing yoga poses and like a really good stretch. And I immediately felt like so much better. Um, because I was like a little sad, you know, like missing everyone, my, missing my husband and my kid, especially. And just that movement, that little bit of movement really helped. Um, yeah. And now I'm home and I've had two days of just getting to be in my house with my stuff and my bed where someone's not coming to check my vitals every hour. And I feel actually really amazing. <laughs> um, I like got back into my movement practice yesterday a little bit. And then today like fully like did a yoga practice and got a little bike in, a little spin in. And I feel amazing. Like I just, just wild. Move, movement is like, I know, I know it's not the way for everyone. Just like my personality, I think, or whatever my, comp, what is that called? The My composition, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, so ever more committed to my practice over here. Um, yeah, and I actually, I was so glad I had talked to Michelle, our guest today, Michelle, before all of this happened, because she just has such a good outlook. She, by all accounts, no one would argue that she has had the year, a bad, I won't say the year from hell, but like a bad year, like a lot of, she's had some health issues, COVID has been really hard, she just moved, she has had a lot going on. But she has somehow turned it into this way of learning and becoming even more. She, she's been wise since I've known her, but like becoming even more wise and just sure of herself and clear in her intentions. And it's really inspiring. So this is for everyone because I know uh, we all have had hard times or are going through hard times. Many of us are hitting a wall with COVID right now in one way or another. Um, I really recommend you listen to this because she has this way of just, she doesn't look on the bright side. Like she's completely clear headed when something terrible is going on, but can be her honesty and um, vulnerability in what's going on. Um, I, I guess what I'd say is like, she's just clear that the only way out is through. And if she's going to go through it, she's going to go through it right basically straight through um so yeah so here is michelle long welcome michelle thank you so much for being here hi thanks for having me i'm really happy to be with you same um so let's just get started talking about your work and what your work is in the yoga community yeah, well, um, as we were just talking, I've had many chapters of my yoga story, so I'm not even sure where to begin. Um, I've been teaching yoga for about 20 years, which is crazy to think about. And I started many, many lifetimes ago actually teaching Bikram yoga, um, and I taught in San Francisco and Santa Barbara and different places in California. And um, Bikram Yoga led me to be fascinated with holistic health and healing. And I went on to get a master's degree on holistic health education just to broaden my knowledge and understanding of how healing happens. And um went from there to do another yoga teacher training with Dharma Mitra in New York, who I still love and adore. 
and then was inspired by a lot of personal things happening. My mom was sick with breast cancer and she passed away 13 years ago. And at the same time, I became pregnant. And it was like this perfect storm of chaos and struggle and challenge that really forced me to go inside and figure out how to take care of myself and how to heal through all of those hardships. And yoga has always been a common thread through my personal life stuff and healing. Um, and it's, it's changed and evolved over time as I have gone through so much. And during that time, I was really inspired to open a healing center for women because I realized at that time when I lost my mom and I was pregnant and I was going through so much that there's very few places that um, support women in community. I was really desiring community and connection with other women. I wanted to have real conversations with other people. And although I was going to all these yoga classes, I never felt like I was talking to anyone or really fully connecting. And so in 2012, I opened Bloom Retreat in Walnut Creek, California, which is where I met Rebecca. <laughs> um, and it was a healing center for women centered around building community and connection. And so we had all different kinds of yoga classes and healing services from acupuncture to chiropractic to massage. But again, the central focus was about bringing us women together and and looking at what it takes to heal. And I realized owning Bloom that every woman coming through the door was facing her own struggle and her own hardship, just like I had been, just like my mom had been. But so much of this as women, we don't talk about and we don't openly share. And so naturally in that space, I started teaching in a different way. I remember just, um, the women wanting to talk. And so I just started to open up the class to having conversation and check-ins before we started doing yoga and just simply asking the question, how are you doing for real? And these were intimate classes of women, you know, 10 women and just opening their mouths and answering that question led to tears and heart openings and all of these amazing, beautiful conversations and transformations simply from that connection. And I started to really look at yoga through a new lens um, in this way. And for me, yoga has always been about connection, really connection with myself, with my body, with the higher source and in this case connection with each other and so I started to lace conversation and connection with and into the movement into the practice and then created something that I called the practice for women that I still teach now um, which is a sort of feminine yoga practice that involves movement, but it involves the connection and support group. A lot of women say that it feels like church and therapy and yoga and a girl's night out all in one. <laughs> and um, that's really been my passion for the last few years and just continues to evolve as I do and as the world changes. And um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now in a nutshell. Um and you, Rebecca, of course, were teaching at Bloom and got to experience so much of the magic that happened in a space when you um, intentionally put women together. Lots happens. 
Yeah, definitely. There is something to um, the place you created was also just like so cozy and there was like tea and, you know, these like really Mm -hmm. nice mugs and we'd all sit together. And there was this sense of, yeah, just like that you created a space where people could really feel comfortable talking to each other, which um, is not, it's kind of hard to find. I mean, (laughs) honestly, I feel like the yoga kind of the, what people might think about yoga is that we're all hippy dippy and we're all like opening our hearts and hugging all the time. But in most yoga classes, that's not the case. It really yeah. isn't. Um, and you have this way about you of like getting other people, getting women to really open up and say how they are really, instead of saying like, no, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> is that innate? Is that from work on yourself? Like, how did you, what's that? What's your secret in that? <laughs> Um, I think a little bit of it or a lot bit of it comes from my mom. She was really just an amazing connector, but she did it naturally through vulnerability. And I think that that's what's missing, especially in our culture and in community is we're just scared to show up for real. And so what I learned is just maybe from watching my mom and also just from embodying what I call a feminine leadership style is to lead from that center, to lead from what's real and to, to, to be, I always think, okay, we're on an expedition together and I'm, I'm on the expedition with you. I'm moving through the same hard terrain and over the same hard boulders and trying to wade through the waters, just like everybody else. I'm no different. I might be like two steps ahead, encouraging everyone to come with me, but I'm no different. And if we can lead from that place, everything sort of um, softens a little bit and it just opens up the channels for people to, to be real. And I think that that's ultimately what we're hungry for and, and what I witnessed so much in my studio and in the practice is that hunger, real connection. And healing happens when we connect in that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I experienced that from your studio. I'm not sure. Um, I think the ability to be vulnerable is maybe both learned and genetic, but it's definitely, or both learned and maybe a natural thing, but it's definitely something I'm working on still. Um, But I imagine in circumstances like that, it, it would become kind of important for you when you close the door after you taught a class to, uh, get your, you know, kind of your own energy back, like, because there's just so much energy moving in a room like that, where people are being vulnerable yeah. and honest. Um, how, how did you do that? How did you take care of yourself while still taking care of all the people in your, your um, retreat? Yeah, I mean, alone time is very important to me. I'm also very introverted. So I value time to myself a lot. <laughs> and the more I'm out with others, the more I need my quiet time. And um, so I think it's also just like real self-devotion, like knowing that I come first and, and, and I have children and I have a family, but even with them, I, co- I come first. I have to. And that has taken me a long time to understand. And there was definitely moments in running my studio where I was not practicing that, you know, and, and, and I did.
didn't do well. I didn't feel well. I, I didn't, I got, I got sick actually. Um, so it is a practice. I don't think it comes easy and naturally to most women. And I definitely did not get that from my mother because she modeled the complete opposite of overgiving to the point where there was a, nothing left of her, you know. Um, but it is boundaries and, and knowing that I need alone time. And then what happens in that alone time can shift and change from moment to moment and whatever I need. And so it's like tuning in and, and really listening to what my body and my spirit need in any given moment. And it never really looks the same. So I think that's where my practice has evolved and changed a lot where back in my early days, 20 something years ago, it was very much a discipline. Like this is my practice. This is what I show up for. And it is like this in this way. And now it's much more organic and this is what it is going to be today. Sometimes it looks like yoga. Sometimes it looks like wild dancing, you know, sometimes it looks like laying on the ground in silence. Sometimes it looks like sitting under a tree. Um, so allowing myself to be open to whatever the practice needs to look like in any given moment, I think, is where I'm at right now. Do you schedule time with yourself every day or is there always, do you wake up early? Like, is there a certain, how do you make sure you get that time? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like from nine to 10 this is my time, you know, but impossible with kids. The minute you just got yeah. something planned. Yeah. But I think my kids are getting a little older now. They're junior high age. And so they're pretty independent. So our rhythm now is I get them going on, they're on school online. So they, I get them settled with that. And then I have time to myself and usually that's going up in my room and closing the door and doing again, whatever is there. So yes. And it's, and it's every day, but it's, it's not like exactly on my calendar at any given time. <laughs> it's nice to know that there can be a little, a little flexibility in that. Um, yeah. okay. So you close the door, <laughs> unroll your mat and mm -hmm. do you sit, like, how do you know what it is you need? Cause I have a hard time sometimes knowing, like, I know I need something, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> I think it's just, I have music that I love and often it's just asking. It's like asking myself quietly, do you want the music? Do you not want the music? And listening to my body, letting my body answer the questions rather than my mind. And if it's yes, music, then my body will usually just start to move naturally. It's sometimes, again, it looks like yoga or not, <laughs> but it starts to move. If it's not music, it's just quiet you know, or it's writing, but I think getting quiet enough to ask and letting the body respond rather than my head. Cause my head will tell me five things I need to go do. That's beyond my mat and beyond my, my sacred space, you know? Mm. Yeah. That listening, that's the hard part. I think yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. And the practice, we call it sacred listening, just getting quiet enough to hear your own answers. And I feel like the answers often come from the womb space, from the belly, from deep down in the core. It's not 
you know, it's not sourced from outside of me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. The more I talk to people who have been doing yoga a long time, the less structured or important uh, that their practice look like yoga it is to them. Mm. Like, it seems like the longer someone practices, the more they're like, I don't know. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> sometimes I sing. And yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's a, it it is what it is. Yeah. It's all yoga at this point, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever have, so like, I am trying to get to a point where I'm not like thinking about my practice as a way to like, uh, have movement in my body. Like it's not this way to like stay fit, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, this is like something I'm personally working on. Like, I feel like, uh, I have to like really mentally tell myself like, this isn't, this isn't a workout. Like you don't have to do anything. Um, does that ever creep in for you or does it, does it, will that go away from me ever? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it, it absolutely creeps in. I think, you know, being kind of raised up in the yoga world and the Bikram yoga um, culture was very fitness focused, at least for me, you know, everyone has their own journey, but it was very fitness focused. It was very, you know, I was young and 20 and wanted to look good in my bikini. Like it was, that was real. And that's like, it, and to look really good in my poses, like there was a lot of vanity I will be very honest at that time. And it, it has and does creeped in. I think for me in the last couple of years, I've been humbled greatly by some pretty big health stuff that's come up in my own body, like humbled to the point of like on my knees, you know, questioning everything. And I think when you face hard stuff in your health, uh, that stuff kind of begins to dissolve. At least it did for me. And the most important thing for me right now is feeling good in my body. And my body doesn't look the same as it did when I was 20 years old at all. I just um, went through a hysterectomy this last September because I had endometriosis in my body that I didn't know about. And losing your womb and at 40 years old and losing your, your connect, what I felt like was my connection to my femininity and going through such like a tragic health thing is humbling. And so it's like crawling back from that. My body will never be the same. And it's just the most important to feel good. So but there's definitely still moments where I look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm not my 20-year-old yogini body anymore, you know? And there's grief and sadness. And I think that that's probably natural, being a human being in a body that ages and changes. But I think for me, again, it's just coming back to, I just want to feel good. So whatever that looks like and whatever the yoga looks like to get me there, I'll do that, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, what, is there a certain, when you're, when you're like, I, today I just need to feel good. I have 20 minutes. Is there like, is there anything that you just, it's like a winner for you? Like this one just always makes me feel good. (laughs) 
You know, lately and since my surgery, what feels so good is to put on music and just like let my body move intuitively. And it's like sometimes it looks like a cat cow. Sometimes it's just like circling with my arms up in the air, just like letting my body open and be free. That's been feeling the most good, like feeling freedom in my body mm. right now. Um, so that's kind of what my yoga looks like lately. It's kind of wild and weird. <laughs> I love it. It's such a big, it is such a shift from Bikram. Like if you think about starting, your, I mean, I started with Bikram too, actually. Yeah. And similarly, it was like, did it because I was like, I want to look I want to fit into this smaller dress. Like I have this dress if it's, I want to fit into the smaller one, but I'm so, I mean, I'm so grateful that that's how I came to yoga. So even if it was from. Yeah, exactly. Like it was, it opened me up and it's part of my, it's important part of my journey and path, but yeah, it's so different. It's so (laughs) different. Such a, it's uh, such a, you've evolved so much in your practice. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I think I think that is the practice, right? To let ourselves evolve as life evolves us. And if we don't, we're stuck. So just allowing allowing life to evolve us in and through our own practice and our body. And um yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so I have noticed my two-year-old already like has a, he knows that I do yoga. He knows I go to do yoga. He like sees me take my mat upstairs and he sees this like relationship I have with myself. Do you think your kids see that? Like, are they, do they, is there sort of an understanding that like you have this time where you take care of yourself and yoga is what you do? And I don't know, is that inspiring for them? Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say that earlier, actually, when you were asking about what my practice looks like when I close the door. I think also, in order to have that time, there has to be an understanding within the family unit or within your relationships that that's what mom goes and does, or that's just what she does. So I think my kids have also witnessed me doing that my their entire life, and they just know that that's when I go do that. They don't bother me. They know that it's really sacred time. And um, my daughter is 12, going on 13. Feels like she's going on like 19. But she is really cute. And she does her own um, morning ritual now. And she shuts the door and no one can go in there. And she she's meditated every day for the last 175 days. She does it on a little app and she sits on her cushion and then she plays her music and she's creates. So she's like watching and creating her own little sacred space and morning ritual um, that she's doing. And then at night, she's so funny. She likes to watch her show and drink chocolate milk. It's really important, but she can't have anybody else in the room. It's like her thing by herself. Nobody's allowed. (laughs) You're just like your mama. I just want alone time with like nobody around and she's setting her boundaries. So I think that they are learning (laughs) in their own ways. That's so cool. I love that. Like you you couldn't teach that except by example. Like, yeah. She would never would have known she could ask for that and take that time to herself. Oh, that makes yeah. me so happy for the next generation. 
Yeah. And she's not ashamed of it. She's like, I wanted to be all by myself. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that way too. (laughs) I feel that way a lot of the time. (laughs) Uh, This is so terrible, but my... My son's just learning how to talk, Hudson. And one of his first sentences was, this sounds so bad, but it was go away. <laughs> because sometimes my, I don't say it to my son, but sometimes my husband will come downstairs during the day and I'm trying to like have my time with Hudson and he's kind of impeding. And I'm so I was like, go away, go back upstairs. <laughs> go away. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, child of the pandemic, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, we all, we need our space. And I think in this culture, especially, it's not, it's not valued. It's not taught to be sacred to have time alone. You know, we're like, we're scared to be alone. We don't know how to be when we're all by ourselves. So I think that that is a really valuable thing to to claim or reclaim. I think that's the thing that's really the biggest it seems so simple, but it seems to me the biggest revelation of the practice is that like actually you having time to connect with others and connect with yourself is something worthwhile. Like I don't, you don't hear that that much. Like even a yoga class, you know, oh, it's worthwhile because you'll be less stressed or you'll get a good workout. But just to be like, oh no, it's worthwhile to just learn about yourself and connect with other women is a revelation. It really is. Yeah. 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 And it comes back like um, I've been leading something called the Sunday service once a month and it's a donation based offering. But I, I was everyone always reflected back that the practice felt like church, like it just feels so sacred when we drop in as women and speak our truth. And so I, I created something called the Sunday service. And last month we talked about what prayer is and sort of redefining prayer. And to me, prayer is connection, right? It's a connection, again, with yourself, with your body, with something larger than us, with nature, with with other women. It's like, it's connection. And that is yoga as well. It is connection. And so for me, it's just expanding the lens, expanding the way we define it. And I think women need connection, authentic, real connection with other women. We need it. Definitely. Yeah. And do you do you think part of the reason you realized it so young that you needed this connection was because of the loss of your mother? Like you think when you lost that connection with her, you needed to find it? Somewhere. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, that's definitely part of my story that I've had to work through and process. She and I were very close. There was a deep, deep soul connection between me and her. And so to lose her, absolutely, I felt like I needed to connect. And it's sort of like the women, they didn't become my mother. They're not my mother. But in a way, there is that same connection with 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 the mother, the great mother through other women. So yeah, absolutely. Feels part like a deep part of my soul's work. Yeah, for sure. Um, sorry, this is shifting. I'm, I'm still learning how to shift gears in an interview. <laughs> you don't know how hard it is. You're doing um, great. <laughs> I only guess it every interview. 
Um, how have you found finding connection with people over meetings on the computer? What's that? Is it possible? Doable? How do you do it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we kind of have to right now, right? Like, it's where connection is happening. And I feel like it's about intention. Like at the last Sunday service that I offered, the reflection I got back was like, that didn't feel like another Zoom call because we went in with like a really pure intention to create a sacred space. And it did, it felt that way in it. So I think that that deep connection is definitely possible through the computer if we go in with with clear intention and it's not just business or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it's how we have to connect and we're lucky that we have it at least. So we're not all isolated in our homes completely without any outside connection at all. So I think it's a saving grace at this moment in time as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, now just thinking about it, like for somebody who's worked their whole life to find connection, it's the irony that when you needed people the most and community the most, you were alone because of the pandemic. That's heartbreaking. Sorry. I just realized that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This last year has been really hard with my surgery and then being so disconnected. But I think in sitting with it, I think I was also called um, to go all the way in to like to, to isolation, not isolation, to solitude in a way. Um, to heal and to, to work on myself in a way that I haven't before. So mm-hmm. it's, it's allowed me to touch another level of solitude, which has been a gift, not an easy one, but a gift that I have seen beauty in as well. Can you talk more about that? Like, is there, well, well if you had to say one thing you've learned from that time with yourself healing, what would it be? Um, I would say that all that true strength and like true source of God or whatever you want to call it is within ourselves ultimately. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's always accessible, but I think even more accessible when we're forced to just be with ourselves, if we allow it, because there was before I, I had a moment of, um, kicking and screaming and kind of tantruming, like, you know, this is, this is hell. Get me out of here. I can't do this. And then had a moment with myself where I realized I could stay in that hell, um, or I can shift and just go all the way in because that's all I had. And when I allowed myself to go there, there's actual a lot of beauty. But I think we tend to fight ourselves. It's hard to be alone. It's hard to allow ourselves to go all the way in. We don't want to. We look for distractions, We, you know. And so that's where I think the pandemic has been a gift for those of us that have allowed ourselves to touch ourselves in that deeper way to go all the way in alone. Cause otherwise we haven't been given this time ever. We always have so many things to do so many distractions. 
Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. No, it really did. Yeah. The, yeah, the solitude has really great lessons and it, it's funny how hard it is to accept and to accept them and to accept pain and to accept anything. It's so mm-hmm. much easier to try to push it all, anything negative away, but yeah. It really reminds me of the yoga sutras that that idea of like acceptance of yeah. things um, accepting and allowing like just allowing like this is just where i am mm-hmm. and it might it actually does suck like, in <laughs> yeah. so many ways but it's where i am and can i just be in this mess and touch the mess and cry and and just be all the way in it you know and from that, come back out. And it's not with the intention to go in and just like stay like a victim, but like to to just touch it because we are so scared to go there. Yeah, so much of the time, the only way out is through. But instead, yeah. I want to just like avoid. <laughs> yeah, we just skirt around the edges. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, can you talk a little bit about your um, the next thing you're offering about healing and, and what that'll be like? Yeah, after this year and a half of my own personal healing, not just in my body, but in you know in all aspects of my life, and from connecting with other women, I know that we've all been through so much um, in these past year going on more than a year and we're hurting personally, collectively. There's just so much pain and so much grief and so much loss and confusion. And um, and so I've been inspired to create a three-month online sacred container that I'm calling HEAL, where I'm calling together as many women as possible to sort of be under one roof, so to speak, to kind of touch these spots, these these hurt parts that we've been talking about and heal together in community. And um, so much of what helped me through my healing process this past year has been connection, like we've talked about, movement, like we've talked about, praying that I mentioned, um, writing and and reading. And so I'm bringing all of those components into this container. So we'll have um, weekly conversations about healing where we get to connect with other women and share and just touch those hurt spots. We'll have weekly movement where I'm looking at the yoga as more of a prayer, as an offering, um, just about feeling good, about touching in. Um, and we'll have writing prayer shops and different ways to connect and be in community. So that's starting March 1st, and I'm trying to make it as accessible as possible so we can just get as many women together because I know from experience that we heal we heal better together. So that's what I'm working on coming up in March. So if anyone's listening and you want to jump on, you can visit my website at The Practiced for Women, and the program is called HEAL. We'll put all of that in the show notes. Um, I, I, we can get this out if you'd rather not talk about it, but um, when you pray, so I'll sit with me. When I pray, I've never been able to talk to God because it seems too big, even when I was a kid in Christian school. 
But for some reason, after my grandmother died, I can pray because I talk to her and it feels yeah. more like the, like I know who I'm talking to. Do you talk to your mom ever? Oh yeah. All the time. I feel like all the time, every day. And I pray to my mom and I even told my husband that he's like, you can't pray to your mom. Like she's not God, you know, but that's what I'm talking about. Redefining prayer. Why can't I pray to my mom? She is my connection to the other side. She is how I feel something larger than myself because I can feel her. So again, praying to me is connection and absolutely. So I think it makes sense that you're yeah. praying to your grandma. <laughs> right. And to a woman too, because I've always yeah. a feminine creation quality. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been a really lovely conversation. Thank you so yeah. much for taking Thank the you time. for having me. And it's so good to see you and hear your voice again. Yeah, same. Um, yeah. And I, I'm so excited about this heel thing. I'm I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, yeah. Cause I, we all could use it. I think <laughs> we all need it right now. And I feel like we still have a little bit more to go in this whole thing we're in. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good time to really dig in. To dig in. And then with the intention of re with the intention of emerging, in a way that we want to on the other side of this darkness. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Have a good day. You too. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Well, Michelle is a hard act to follow. Um, I was like taking notes in my journal while I was editing that interview, like so many different things she said that were just so honest and authentic and wise and just things I just really wanted to remember. Um, and it's interesting because I don't plan, I plan in advance what I'm going to talk about when I talk about uh, the sutras, but somehow this one really fits because our... Um, Yama today is Satya, which uh, is, it's been translated to truth, but Sat actually means like essence or true essence, like, you know, that little piece of God or light inside of you that only you have, right? That's what Sat, sat is, and Satya is that truth. Um, and putting it into context first, like Satya is after Ahimsa, um, meaning that even truth should be in, through a filter of non-harming. Um, which, you know, there are different varying times when, you know, someone asks, do you like my haircut? Is it more important to tell the truth or to be kind? And, and I think these sutras are saying more important to be kind or, you know, you know, think about like people hiding, um, Jews from the Nazis in Germany, um, right? Like that was a lie, but it was from a place of non-harming. Anyway, so that, that's where it is in context. Um, and satya is this idea that, you know, everything that you speak is from your essence. And I felt that so clearly with Michelle, right? She has this authenticity that when she says something, you know, if you say, how are you? And she's not feeling great, she's not going to say great. And there is a sort of 
beauty in that. Like you can really wreck when you can see someone else's essence. It, it's this, uh, it almost feels like it calls up your own, your own Saya, your own truth. Um, yeah. And, and it is this idea of like finding a way to take off those layers of, you know, discomfort or shame or blame or, you know, things you're afraid or fear or, you know, things you don't like or things you do like to kind of take that off. And really when you talk, have it be just an expression of yourself, of your true self, capital T, I guess, or true essence, capital E, I suppose, T-E. Yeah. And and the the sutra, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, but there is a sutra later on, which is chapter 2, verse 36, where Patanjali says that the words of those fully established in the practice of satya become so powerful, everything they say comes true. So you could think of this like as like a magical thing. <laughs> like, oh, I'll say I have a million dollars and it'll come true. But what I think it means, and, and some commentators agree with me, is that it means that once you really spend time on your 